Well, right again, welcome back to The Gutowski Files, starring Stephen Gutowski, who is either here or here. I never know how the editing software, he's somewhere next to me. You're the editor. You should know. I'm, terrib- I'm terrible at video editing. I mean, I'm just terrible at it. I literally just take the little opening credits file, throw it in Final Cut, and then I take the whole thing and I just trim down the edges. I can do that, right? And then throw it. Yeah, I'm not. That's good. editing. I'm that's like, yeah, but I, that's yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> could be better. You know, the whole idea of this video podcast was not my idea because I mean, people may want to look at your face for 20 minutes a week, but, but definitely they see enough of mine on the main channel anyway. <laughs> so you are back home. You are not up in New York, but you've been following the NRA corruption trial very closely. Um, it's possible the ruling comes out soon. What are your thoughts? Is this going to happen soon? And how do you, if you had to guess, I know you probably talked to other reporters and other people. How do you think this is going to shake out? Yeah, so they're still in deliberations as of now. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday night. So um, I think that the case is likely to be decided tomorrow. Uh, well, obviously, you can't know for sure. You, you've dealt with juries, right? I've, I've been on a jury. You, you've probably talked to a lot of jurors over the years and when you were in law enforcement. But uh, you can't know for sure. But there are a couple signs. This is a First off, this is a very complex case. Right. Like it might seem fairly straightforward on the facts to a lot of people about, you know, there's not disputes over how much money was spent or what it was spent on. The, you know, right. there, there's defenses, obviously, from the NRA and Wayne LaPierre and others, but there's there's not disputes over the basic facts of what's going on. And so it might seem straightforward, but this is actually kind of four cases in one because you've got the NRA as an organization, as a defendant, and then you have three individual defendants. Um, so there's the, this, the pay, the paper that they have to fill out the, the jury, um, is, is 17 pages long. So, um, you know, they have to go through and answer all these questions, multiple charges against multiple defendants. And so it takes, it takes a while. Right. And it was a six week case. And nobody too, wants so. to be the one to hold you over to make you come back on Monday. Believe me when I tell you the pressure right. in the jury room is a very real thing. Um, if but you that's, have, for example, one holdout. And that person's going to make you stay in this crummy hotel over the weekend and come back to this this depressing courtroom on Monday morning. That's a thing. It happens. Yeah. And that that's why I think it'll come in on Friday because one, they've asked a couple questions that indicate they're maybe further along that sheet. You know, they're down towards the end. If they're going in chronological order, at least they're, they're getting towards the end of that, uh, what they have to fill out the end of those questions. And right. so, uh, you know, a, a, a verdict tomorrow seems like a good possibility. Um, obviously we'll have to, we'll have to see, but, uh, I, I, you know, I think when you read the jury instructions and the questions that they have to determine, it doesn't look great for the defendants, for the NRA and, and LaPierre and others to me, but, um, you never know. There, there's a couple points. It's a couple of related party transactions where it's like, maybe this wasn't major enough to qualify or, you know, that a lot of the NRA's defense has focused more on their reform efforts that they've, that they're claiming to have made. Um, right. And that kind of feels like a defense for the second phase of the trial. So the jury is just determining facts now. And, um, you know, some of that reform stuff can play a role to some degree in this, uh, in, in that section of the case. And, uh, you know, Wayne LaPierre has repaid about over a million dollars now already to the NRA for, you know, in restitution for some of the private flights for his family members and things of that nature. Uh, obviously he's accused of 
about 10 million plus more than right. what he's paid back. But, but, um, you know, they're just going to determine the facts of the case and then they're going to apply damages, what they think, you know, if, if there were, if these things that, that happened were, uh, against the law and they did in fact cost the NRA money, that's one of these sort of ir- ironies of this whole thing is like, mm-hmm. The, per, the the group that gets paid is the NRA, not the right. not New York. Although there is there is a portion where they could make the NRA pay New York uh, double the damages for some of these things, but for the most part, the NRA is, would be the one getting paid, and the jury determines what that amount is. And then then you go to the second phase of the trial, which is where the judge actually uh, will sit down and and take the jury's advice on what to do and and then issue his ruling, which is where that's going to be the more, the most important aspect because that'll involve whether they, uh, whether there's a court appointed monitor that gets put in place to oversee how the NRA spends its money basically and operates. Yeah. You know, uh, cops, uh, court clerks, reporters, even the attorneys in a case love to try to guess what it means when a jury is out for a certain amount of time or, if they come back, you know, the same day or the next day, it's definitely guilty or definitely not or definitely whatever. There, There is no telling what 12 licensed drivers are going to come up with after being presented with weeks of testimony. Um, but I, I promise you there there's at least half of those people are dying to get out of there and go back <laughs> to their lives. It's been how long <laughs> has it been exactly? Yeah, well, it's been six weeks, right? So I guess seven weeks now with the if you're counting this past week of deliberations. Um and there's actually, to that point, there's kind of a funny question. One of the first ones that they asked the judge, uh, and I, I made it seem like individual jurors can ask questions. And one of them was like, we're not getting very far very quickly. Uh, it was after like two hours of deliberations, this this question came in. So there, yeah, some of them clearly don't want to be there as long as, long as they have been. Uh, also, another reason to think maybe the NRA doesn't fare as well here is one, it's a, this is a civil case, right? It's not a criminal case. So the standard for evidence is lower. It's preponderance of evidence instead of reasonable doubt. Right. And also the number of jurors is lower. It's only six jurors and doesn't need to be unanimous. You only need five of the six on uh, each individual question. So um, that's a pretty high bar. I think for, for the defendants in this case to, to clear a hundred percent at least, and maybe they went on a couple points, but um, yeah, it it makes it harder, especially the fact pattern, you know, all the evidence involved for the NRA to come out with unscathed, I would say. Absolutely. So we, we thank Stephen for following all this so closely so we can get the, get the highlights or the lowlights as it were. Um, Now over at the reload.com, which I will tell you again later, you should go over there and check it out and consider getting a membership. That's the reload. Dot com. And I'm going to have a little one of those little ding sound effects and like a wink at the camera every time I plug the reload. Um, so the headline is, uh, and this is article is by our very own Stephen Gutowski. Uh, Ninth Circuit denies California appeal over youth shooting sports law. That's a lot of words in a row that, that I think it's the clearest headline you could have given us. Then yeah. the next thing um, says the, the full Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals will not hear an appeal to a ruling against the Golden States. You see how this is getting confusing for us regular people? Mm-hmm. Against the Golden States law banning gun ads that could appeal to minors. And my question is, whether they're mining gold or coal, like why shouldn't miners have access to <laughs> gun advertisements, Stephen? Yes. No, this is this is a law uh, that is about 
people under the age of 18. So oh, those minors. Kind of minors. Gotcha. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, who are not allowed to be minors as far as I'm aware. Yeah, I think that's we outlawed that practice a while yes. ago. Um, but they, yeah. And it's also sort of, it's an, it's an interesting story, right? Because it's, it's a bit of a process story and it's a bit complicated, but it could have some serious implications for second amendment cases moving forward in places like California. That's why it matters. Right. So what happened in this case was not, doesn't change the actual facts on the ground for people in California at this very second, not yet at least, but it may change things significantly down the road in uh, the way these gun laws are, are challenged uh, moving forward and perhaps the, the success rate of those challenges. Because what happened here, right, is you, you had, uh, you know, when, when a federal case gets filed against the gun law in California, right, um, it goes to the district court, the one judge looks at the case and issues their ruling. Uh, in this situation where, and we're dealing with a pretty complex law here too, right? People might remember this from a couple of years ago when it happened. Um, there was <laughs> Gavin Newsom, the democratic governor of California got very upset at a, at one specific company for the way they advertised, uh, it's a 22 rifle that was made to look like an AR 15 and was for children. And it was called the, we One tactical JR 15. And it had this, uh, frankly, trolley advertising campaign where they had, um, you know, skull and crossbones with a pacifier, uh, you know, very like uh, kind of intended to get this sort You're of reaction. Listening, you can't see the face that I just made, but I kind of turned my <laughs> nose up at that. That's gross. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, it, you know, something that I think was probably clearly intended to try and get uh, a rise out of people like Gavin Newsom and certainly worked because right. he responded by pushing for this law, which made it illegal to, which was super broad way. You know, it basically, it made it illegal to, promote guns in any way that might be appealing to people under the age of 18. And the immediate effect this had was in shutting down a lot of youth shooting sports leagues in California. Um, you know, it's not illegal for minors to shoot guns in California or possess firearms. It's, it's just not, it's not anywhere in the country. And what kills me is this, these are the, these are the only groups out there doing things to try to educate young people about firearms, how to handle them safely. Like this is what we want. I thought, unless you want just no firearms at all, which is kind of the point, I guess. Yeah. And so the, you know, that, that's one of the critiques from the plaintiffs in the case that they're kind of trying to go after gun culture generally with, with some of these restrictions. Um, but even if they, uh, look, um, you know, th this was something where the, even if this wasn't the intended effect, the real world effect was that these shooting leagues and, uh, you know, youth shooting sport magazines and, and, and things of that, even gun rights groups themselves. Oh my gosh. Uh -oh. Sorry. I dropped, right. I dropped my, my knife. Sorry. <laughs> but they know it's live people. We don't, I we cheat. don't, we, we already established. I can't edit. That's going to stay in just so you know. I, my cheap Chinese uh, switchblade yes. thing that I bought at the gun show. I dropped oh, it. Fairfax I apologize. Right now to come, to come <laughs> Not, it's perfectly legal here in Virginia yes. for, for now at least. Anyway. Um, yes. Yeah, so the, this applied to all kinds of groups and the effect was that it shut down youth shooting sports in, in California 
And uh, that created a huge backlash, as uh, people might remember so this part of the whole story, right? And the California legislature went and and fix, tried to fix this issue and, and make it clear in the law or somewhat clearer in the law that youth shooting sports was exempt from these sorts of uh, potential fines of up to $25,000. That's why people were were worried and shutting things down because you know, the yep. fine for this was I'm massive. sure they operate on a pretty thin margin, most of those organizations. Yeah, I mean, it's can't afford this. So uh, that's, you know, I think that's where a lot of people stop paying attention to what happened because they they somewhat fixed this. So youth shooting sports is still is now operating again in California. Um, but the plaintiffs, the gun rights groups that filed this case didn't give up. They didn't, they weren't satisfied by the, the legislative fix that California lawmakers came up with. Um, and so they continued that case. They lost at that district court level. Then they went to the next level, which is a three judge panel on the appeals court. And that panel sided with the plaintiffs, with the gun rights groups. Um, and so what happens at that point is the, the case would get sent back down to that district court judge to issue a preliminary injunction, something to block enforcement of the law. But there's another step that can happen in that process, which is, which happened here. The government can appeal to the full ninth circuit uh, for an, what's called an on bunk panel. And uh, that panel could, if, if the appeal is accepted, could then rehear the case and potentially overturn the three judge panel's ruling. And so that's, that's what the government did here. And the reason this is a major story, even if it sounds like a whole lot of process nonsense, um, and we get deeper into this on the po- the reload podcast this week. So if people want to hear from the lawyer in the case, uh, they should tune into that and get a little bit more detail. But Absolutely, yeah. what happened here was, uh, you know, the, the, the ninth circuit rejected this, which is unusual because it's gun related case. And what we've seen since Heller back in 2008, right? Uh, the ninth circuit has taken up on bonk review requests from the government every single time in gun related cases, especially second amendment cases. And they have overturned the lower court every time. Essentially they've agreed with the government. They've upheld these gun laws every single time. They're well known for this. Yes. And so the fact that they didn't do that in this case is, is really interesting, Mm -hmm. right? It it implies that maybe they're not going to continue that trend of just every time there's a pro gun ruling at the panel level uh, or, you know, the, the, the level below an on bank review that they just take it up and reverse it, um, which would be pretty major win for gun rights advocates in the ninth circuit because then essentially the way things have been, you kind of have to rely on hope, hoping that the Supreme Court eventually takes up your case or a case very similar to it uh, if you ever actually want to get a lasting win in the courts in the Ninth Circuit on gun-related cases. So if, if this starts a new trend where they're not going to do this every single time, and now you know the, the Ninth Circuit has come under a lot of criticism for that practice, including from um, many judges on the ninth circuit. They've been very vocal in disliking this whole, uh, history. And so, um, you know, uh, whether that's why this happened or not, uh, is we don't know, you know, this is also not a second amendment case. I should clarify that. Right. Uh, it might sound like a second amendment case, but it's actually a first amendment case. 
because it's about you know commercial speech. There's these restrictions are still in place. They just don't directly impact uh, youth shooting leagues as much anymore. They still impact a lot of other people potentially, and so uh, it's more of a free speech case. But uh, but yeah, regardless, it's still it's obviously gun related, and it's interesting to see the Ninth Circuit go this direction, and and makes you wonder if that's going to be the start of a new trend or if this is just some sort of one-off thing. Uh, we don't know, but that's why, that's why something that sounds like a very inside baseball procedural story can actually have some really serious implications down the road. Absolutely. And well explained, sir. People are much less confused than they were when I tried to read the, uh, the caption below the headline a few minutes ago. Let me just, just editorialize here for a moment, if I may. Uh, you know, we would do well. People, you know, generally a little bit more to the right of center like me and more more conservative and more pro-gun people like me would do well to to ditch all the trolling and owning the libs and all this other stuff. Like you understand that, you know, you, you do that on your way up and then you get to a place like the Ninth Circuit and everyone now sees like you're you're doing stuff like skulls and crossbones with pacifiers. That's gross and it looks bad and it unfortunately reflects on everybody you know, everyone on, on the right or who are more pro firearms and others, it's not a good look. So maybe don't do that. Maybe just market your stuff normally, you know, in a, in a responsible way. Um, I'm not even sure what a skull and crossbones with a pacifier is supposed to mean, but it, it it's, there's all sorts of potential negative connotations. I didn't like it the minute you said it. Uh, just something to think about if you're out there and you want to sell your wares and be a responsible uh, manufacturer and seller, distributor of firearms, do it the right way, you know, um, because that, you know, when, once people start paying attention to you and they see what you've been doing and this, the trollery you've been up to, you know, not everyone is a is a politics junkie and gets exposed to this stuff every day. The average person sees that and they're probably turned off by it. Just my two cents, Stephen. Uh, I would also mention that they have changed their marketing since all this happened uh, okay. to eliminate the sort of cartoony figures that they used to have that generated that negative uh, backlash. Of course, I would also, you know, it, it kind of worked for them as far, as far as like an advertising gimmick. Everybody, a lot more people know what the We Won Tactical right. JR-15 is than ever would have otherwise. Because, you know, this is the other thing about it. Like, it, it, I think it was intended to create uh, a big media firestorm, which it did. Um, you know, Gavin Newsom and company took the bait for sure on that point. Um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. This gun was not. Other than the marketing, there wasn't anything terribly new or unique about it. It does have an integrated lock uh, that most guns don't have, so that it's actually California, somewhat safer. Um, oh, I see. Okay, but it, um, you know, the even the twenty-two rifle that looks like an AR-15. That's not a new thing. Smith and Wesson's been making that for for a long time. Yeah, decades. for like fifty bucks, you can get a conversion stock for. Uh, sure. for a, a Ruger 1022 to make it look like an AR style. So, you know, it, again, it doesn't change anything about the lethality or the effect. No, and it's just cosmetic. It didn't, nothing about the gun is particularly unique um, in its function or construction. It's just something that um, was designed, I think, and the marketing for it was designed to get a big backlash, attention drawing thing. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, of course, the California legislature's sure seem to have gone way overboard in their reaction to it and perhaps created what appears to be an unconstitutional restriction on free speech in response. So, um, you know, no, yeah, you, you could obviously, uh, people can judge either side of that equation 
um, uh, like you're like you're talking about there, you yep. know, what they think of of either side of it, but uh, uh, or maybe you know, obviously you can look at it and think both sides are in the wrong in how they acted, but but certainly uh, the more the the sort of big news value of this piece is not just that the gun rights advocates won this case because they won it back in September. Actually, the the actual preliminary injunction aspect, it's just this procedural thing where the Ninth Circuit didn't take it on bunk. That's could could mean a lot going forward. Like, you know, maybe they don't take other gun rights wins uh, in the courts on bunk either. And you don't have to hope for a Supreme Court intervention to actually win a case in the Ninth Circuit on on gun rights. Well, I just want to add this because I think my dogs, if you found off the camera or the microphone picked it up, my dogs were telling me it's time to end the show. <laughs> um, they must want to eat or something. Um, let me let me just rephrase something really quick or, or reiterate the point of what I was saying earlier about people who I generally agree with politically acting, you know, acting churlish and, and mean spirited all the time. And the, what they would say to me is, yeah, but this left organization or this liberal blah, 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 and look how they're acting. And that's that is literally what your mom should have taught you better than that when you were three, quite literally they started I, it. I can only worry about how I comport myself and hopefully influence other people. That's part of what we're, what we're trying to do. It's part of what you're mm. trying to do, influence people on our side to comport themselves in such a way they can be proud of their behavior and they can actually influence people. I've actually talked to people who were completely anti-gun out of their position. And I didn't do it by mocking them, by ridiculing them, by calling them names, None of that stuff is ever effective. All it does is make them more entrenched. Just something to think about. We're not doing Andy Rooney here at the end of 60 minutes. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> uh, I do have to run, Stephen. Uh, I really appreciate you, folks. As always, go over to thereload.com, the reload, spelled like it sounds, .com, and consider getting a membership. Stephen relies on his membership dues to fund his important work and get all that hair product as well, I'm guessing. Yeah, um, going to that. I'm just jealous. His golden locks cross <laughs> nicely, even in 1080p. I like that your uh, that your reference was so dated that you have to be fairly old to even understand That's okay. the old man that you're referring to. I'm not. I'm Gen <laughs> X for the record. I'm not a boomer, but that is a boomerish reference for sure. Andy Rooney, man. Yeah. He, uh, Every week at the end of the show, he'd be like, "You ever notice how airline peanuts are yep. too salty?" And then he would talk for like 10 minutes on. Something and that was like 20 years ago when he had. <laughs> It was wildly popular at the time, back in 1938. All right, folks, that's all the time I got. I got to go. Steven, sir, as always, you have the last word. Absolutely. <laughs>